Welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. We appreciate you guys joining us for another episode. Today we're being joined by Alicia Sampson, who is the head keeper at one of the Cat Ambassador Program. We're really excited to have you on. We're excited to talk cheetahs. We're excited to talk Rosie, our cub that came to us, what, three months ago now? Five months ago. Five She's times five. Five. She's going to be five <laughs> wow. months old. Yeah. How much yeah. does she weigh now? I actually have, have no idea. No? I don't remember. Does she look like a big girl? I haven't seen her in... She, yeah, she is. is well, I've never seen like, her in person. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You haven't seen her in person. Her in person. You're no. like next door neighbors. I know. I guess I don't know when she's out, and I'm so busy. She but. sometimes you have to look. So sometimes she lives in the enclosure that Donnie oh, lives in. Okay. So we switch her and Donnie back and forth now. So okay. her and her puppy are out there a lot. That's good to know. Actually, I think she's out there today. So when you leave, okay, check stop her by out. and see her. Yeah, stop by and see her. And Daisy, I might be able yeah. to see. Okay, well, we'll back up for a second. So, you get to help raise all of these cheetah cubs and these puppies, which I think are just as fun as the cheetahs in some ways. I mean, who doesn't love a puppy, right? <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then you're like a super mom in real life, and you fostered kids, and you have your own children, and you do all of this, but... Where did you start out? Like, how did you get into this business? Because, you know, we always ask everybody this. <laughs> yeah, so originally I started as a dog trainer a million years ago. Um, and then after I did dog training, well, actually, still while I was doing dog training, I worked at SeaWorld Ohio. Which is which, so wild to yeah. think about there, there was a SeaWorld. There used to be a SeaWorld. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I say SeaWorld, everybody's like, which one do you work at? I was like, Ohio. They're like, oh, Yes, it used to exist. <laughs> I worked because we were seasonal too. So we work, we op only open more Memorial Day to Labor Day for most of the time, sometimes during Halloween time. Um, so it was a seasonal job. And then I did dog training in the wintertime. Um, and then I worked birds at SeaWorld. So I worked with penguins, outside birds. Like, I, just I never can't imagine loved you birds. As a bird person. Yeah, no, I wasn't a bird person, but it got me in the door, right? Yeah, yeah you got to take what you can get. <laughs> but actually, it was super fun. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I'm glad I did it because it really gave me appreciation for a lot of birds that I just really like. I love waterfowl, I love them. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it is one of those things where you think you won't be interested in, in a certain type of animal, or maybe they're not your favorite, but you can still appreciate like the really cool things about them. Yeah. And now you're a waterfowl nerd. Waterfowl. <laughs> you just like ducks. We and had like geese the meanest and... lilac-breasted roller in the entire world. Oh, those are cool. Yeah, beautiful bird, but he was the male was so mean. <laughs> You eat attack you every time you go into the enclosure. Oh, oh man! <laughs> you wear, like a helmet. <laughs> we, we, I would actually, because I was kind of scared of him, even though it was, you know, not very big. Any time I go in the enclosure, I would just net him, because he'd fly right Aww. down to the ground and he would try to attack your feet first of all. So I was like, well, you'll be safe if I just put you in this net. So he'd fly <laughs> to the ground, try to attack my shoe. So I'd net him, service the enclosure, let him back out. <laughs> And run out of the enclosure. Oh it's like a kid in timeout or something. Yep. <laughs> timeout. Just one of my coworkers. He would just let him bite him. He like he'd go in the enclosure, and I think that's part of why he had the like terrible behavior. Yeah, probably. He would just walk, and he would just bite him like insistently on the hand, and he'd just walk around holding him on the hand. I was like, no, no, thank you. It's like self rewarding too. He right. keeps biting, so he keeps getting rewarded. Yeah. So he keeps doing it. So over he's like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> this has come up in a few episodes and people ask me if I'm afraid of spiders or snakes or there's got to be something that freaks you out. I'm like, no. But when I think about it, 
I'm not really afraid, but if I am afraid of something, it's birds. Like, you know, like, I just don't trust them. <laughs> They're not as predictable, and they, yeah. Especially, especially your stork, I mean. Oh, uh, Icky's great, though, but it's Pam the ostrich for me. Sometimes oh. parrots, they're a yeah. little bit trickier. But, so That's you, interesting, though. So you were a dog trainer, bird keeper, and then how did you end up here? Well, I, we all lost our job because SeaWorld got bought out by... SeaWorld got bought out by Six Flags, and then Six Flags got bought out by Cedar Fair. So we were all brought into this meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning. We were all excited. And then we all realized that we lost our jobs because they were gonna, they sold to Cedar Fair, and then Cedar Fair was get, getting rid of all the animals. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. That's demoralizing. The, yeah, that was, that was a little rough. <laughs> um, were you in college at this point or out of college? I was. I was okay. a senior in college. I had a full-time job, so I was really excited that I was going to graduate and have a full-time job. I was working my butt off, going to school full-time, working full-time. And then it was like winter time when we found out that the park was sold and we all lost our job. So I was like, great, I'm going to graduate, lose my job. It's supposed to be the opposite. Um, so ironically, uh, on my birthday that year, which is at the end of May, one of my friends kept calling me and it was like, before when you couldn't really lock your phone or anything in my phone they would always like people would always butt dial me oh. because they i'm at the top of their yeah. list their Alicia, contact yeah. list so like she kept calling me all day long and i answered it the first time and i could tell like it's in her pocket like so it's like the 20th time she called me i finally hung the phone up and called her back and i was like Stop calling me. What, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? You know, you away. literally have been calling me all day long. And she's like, well, oh, that's great. Because I was going to call you anyways. So those calls were on purpose. No! She to you. But she's like, I was going to call you anyways because I saw this position open for a seasonal job at the Cat Ambassador Program at the zoo, at the Cincinnati Zoo. And she had been working as a seasonal that year already at the zoo. And, and what city were you in at this point? We're at Northeastern Ohio. Okay. So we were, I, we went to school at Hiram College, which okay. is a little bit outside of Cleveland. Okay, I was thinking SeaWorld yeah. was in Cleveland. But. Yeah, SeaWorld's like 20 minutes outside of Cleveland, and then we were about another 20 minutes away from that. Okay. And uh, so I was like, oh, that's cool. So I was in Pennsylvania at the time, and I got home that night and got on the computer, and it was like, oh, the job posting ends tonight. I was like, you know, being baby me, I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. But job posting ends tonight, so I'm on the computer submitting all my stuff at like midnight. Right at the deadline. To the <laughs> deadline to get my information in, and then it just like happens that like they called me on Monday to do an interview. I so mean, usually it takes <laughs> weeks. It's yeah. All these days. I was like, this That's was amazing. like a Saturday, and then I got a phone call on Monday, and I think it was because they had already needed people, like, the season had already started, oh. it was, like, the beginning of June, oh. you know, so Memorial Day had already passed, season had already started, they really needed help, and got basically offered the job over the phone, I was like, Incredible. Oh. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> uh... Yes, <laughs> especially for this specialized like training position yeah. in the cat ambassador program. One, it's hard to become a keeper in general, but like I mean, you had the dog training, I guess, so that fits in with you know the cat ambassador program. But then birds, like, right? Did they even question that or make you do like speaking or anything to? No, the job? it was more of yeah, um, you know, 
having the experience of being around at least animals. And Mm -hmm. I, I know that that year, I think it was partially like, partially, yeah, me applying for it, but I know they have like a lack in applicants that year too. So I think it just happens that I just snuck right in there and everything just kind of aligned properly. And you know what? They worked out. So this part of that also speaks to kind of how the program has grown over the years. Cause I know now we have this beautiful theater with this massive kind of stadium seating and the shows are incredible. Like yeah, was the production like value is top notch was, Oh yeah. I mean it, no. So when I started and I I was a seasonal for about two years. So I was a contract I was seasonal for a summer and then I was contract position for two years. Okay. And so when I first started, the we basically were given like generalized facts about cats. And here's your facts. And you didn't even know what animal was coming out next. So oh it was gosh. like oh, no. do the show and then like they would just bring, like, my bosses would just bring another animal out. And you're like, <laughs> you're and they were all cats, so, like, but you just had no idea which one was coming out next. So it was like, oh, surprise! So you gotta be really good on mic. Yeah. yeah. And that year we started, we actually were doing, that I started, sorry, we had, it was the first year we were doing shows at the Elephant House. So where the bull yard is now was actually turned into a makeshift theater space. What? And you brought the cheetahs there? Yes. Yeah, so every day we had to load the cheetahs up in our van, drive the van through the zoo, over to the elephant house, walk the cheetahs down the bull hallway into, like, the old... So the bull yard used to be basically, like, uh, this moated yard. And then on the other side of the yard was, like, half of our bleachers that we have now, a section of them, was up there. And then we had temporary housing built beside it. Okay, I don't want to give away your age or wow. anything. What year? <laughs> it seems, you're making it that sound was, like it was 30 years ago, and it wasn't. It would have been 2004. Wow. Yeah, that was the summer of okay. 2004. So we did that for 2004 and 2005. Okay. And I think because before that, our yard was up at our area, but it was tiny. It was hard to get to because you had to cross the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Like, we weren't really inside. We were inside the zoo grounds, but we weren't, like, connected to the main part of the zoo. Yeah, a lot of people probably didn't even know it was there. they didn't. So Mm -hmm. they tried to do this for a couple years, which worked out, but then, like, the holding area was super hot because, you know, you're in a metal-roofed area Mm -hmm. with caging, and um, it was just not the greatest setup, but it worked for a while. Like, worked for the couple years, but... Yeah, you just bring cats up there and do your thing. <laughs> and then what year did the, the New York get created? So we did that for two years. And then the New Yard started getting built in uh, 2007. Yeah, 2007. And that was um, technically a 2004, 5, 6, yeah, 7. And we had a different yard than we do now. But we had uh, just the same kind of setup. It was just a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like if you call it like a trial yard to see like if our shape made sense, if everything made sense before we got a little bit bigger of a space. So, and uh, and we were still across the parking lot at that point in time because Africa didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. So we had all these silly things we'd do. We'd get on the loudspeaker and we'd announce the shows and we'd tell (laughs) people to walk across the parking lot. People probably thought we were insane. (laughs) And then I remember one year Gary Densler, the head of the bird show, took 
these giant got somehow got these giant prints of like cat feet and he stamped them all the way across the parking lot. Oh, amazing! All the way up to the cheetah How area. How did that become his job? I have no idea. That's what I remember. I remember <laughs> I being in grade school coming to the shows, done. and there were cat prints leading yeah! up to the show. And me and my siblings always thought it was fun to walk across the cat prints. Like that's the first time I remember coming to the yeah. show. Yeah. Well, Gary Densler put those cat prints. On. <laughs> And then we'd have sometimes a cheetah person dressed up in the cheetah mascot and directing people that way because people just wouldn't come up there because I didn't know it was supposed to walk all the way across this parking lot. (laughs) Would that have been going on in 2009 when I started? Yeah. I feel like I remember a mascot. Yeah. Because our new, that wouldn't have changed really until the, basically until the draft yard was completely built. And then it became more of like an area right because yeah. we're kind of more attached mm-hmm. once the draft yard was built right and they were doing africa so that parking lot went away yeah so the parking lot disappeared at that point because we used to walk cheetahs all yeah. when that was just grassy area we would just bring cheetahs down our area we had steps actually that still are behind the lion uh-huh that now go down into the lion exhibit yeah terrible idea now. <laughs> but we used to walk the cheetahs down the steps and we'd hang out in like the grassy area because it was just grass we'd stare at giraffes all day yeah yeah okay so for anyone who doesn't know explain what a show is like and what they might see and one of the coolest things that we do not many other zoos do do yeah so our shows last about 20 to 25 minutes and generally we have some of our smaller animals in the beginning of the program like our domestic dogs we have domestic cats um, we also have a Red River Hog, an African Crested Porcupine, and Servals. And those are all the typical animals that we generally always have. So we, this year it's kind of fun because it's built on this, like, Wild West whodunit mm-hmm. zoo show, which is kind of entertaining. And it always ends up that our dogs are the bad people. <laughs> they end up being the good people in the end. It's fine. Um... And then we always end the show with two cheetah runs. So any year, whatever our theme is or anything like that, we end the show with two cheetah runs, which is really cool because, yeah, there's not many facilities that actually do that. Um, And actually, there's only like five zoos in the U.S. that run their cheetahs, really. It's amazing. They can go so fast so quickly that you're able to see them, not at top speed, but how fast do you think they're going in a show? Like 50s? They can get in the 50s, over okay. 50s. Yeah, you're not going to see your top speed here just because the cats know there's an end. They yeah. can see the end of the yard. They have to turn. They know they're gonna, this is going to happen. Um, so you're not going to see those top speeds of 70 miles per hour. But um, we have clocked them before with a radar gun. And you can get it. They get up the upper 50s. Like so I think impressive. Andy actually, for one of her grad products, she got like 60 miles an hour before. Wow. Um, it's pretty incredible. And I mean, I've seen the runs for, what, 18 years now, and it's so still amazed about, like, what you get to see. That's what I was going to say, too. Like, it takes your breath away every time you see it. It is unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) And will you explain to everyone how you get them to run or, like, what they're chasing and how that whole system works? Yeah, so it's a motorized lure system. It's a lot of the same type of mechanics that are used for dogs. So have you ever seen um, dogs racing after a lure? It's the same exact thing. Um, It's hooked up to a battery, and it's a simple uh, string 
attached to a dog toy and then that dog toy we can put these pulleys up in the yard so the pulleys can pull the string different directions um, and then it's basically controlled by a person so a person is controlling the speed and how fast that lure goes through the yard and the tricky part is with running cheetahs too it's not just pushing the button it's also making sure that you stay within that distance of the cat to keep them interested in what they're chasing. But you don't want it to end too early either. Right. And catch it right away. Yeah. You don't. It's a lot of pressure. But the yeah. fun, it, it can be a lot of pressure, but I also tell people, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's, if you think you screwed up, like the cat caught it early, like I always say there's never a screw up because you know what? The cat caught it early and the cat thinks that's so much fun. Yeah, it might not look <laughs> the greatest from an audience perspective because they don't get to see a full run completed all the way, but the cat will run twice probably. And yeah. you know, the cat gets to catch it early and that's exciting for them. And you know, they get really pumped up at the second time they run because they're like, oh, I got that right away. Like, <laughs> so you might be a little bit disappointed in yourself, but it's so entertaining for the cat. That's good. Yeah, that's nice of you. You're like, don't worry. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. What's the worst that happens? Yeah. You just get to feed the cat twice. Like, <laughs> So you basically trade this lure toy for their diet, right? And they just eat that in front of everyone pretty quickly, actually. And then you can take the lure while they're busy eating and... Yeah, cats. we just switch it up. We give them a pan of food. They're trying to come to the pan of food, trade that lure. Some of the cats uh, like to hold on to the little lure a little bit more than the others. <laughs> but it's they so funny. Yeah, because yeah. Savannah, she is now, ooh, Savannah, she's now 12 years old, 11 years old. She has always just like caught the lure, immediately gotten up and gone for the food. She knows what it means yeah. when she catches it. Now, yeah. Chris, though, she's three, and she's going to hold on to that lure for <laughs> as long as she possibly can. So it's just funny, you know, just like people, they all have their their personalities and what they like and what they don't like. So it's um, uh, entertaining to figure out everybody's little quirks and what they like. So. And you obviously had a dog training background, but is there any different challenges that come along with training cats specifically? Like you said, servals, house cats, cheetahs. I know in past years you had fishing cats as part of the show as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously for training any animal, it's just knowing their natural histories, right? So knowing the background, what that animal, how that animal survives, how that animal lives, um, and that's going to all play into how you train them mm. and how you work with them. You know, for years we've had so many people come up with all these different ideas of running cheetahs and running cheetahs after something that's um, really not, not physically moving through the yard, like moving from A to B. Oh, you could train them to move from A to B very quickly. And I'm like, but their motivation is to run after something that's to moving. Chase. Yeah. It's chase. It's not, there's, they're not incentive isn't to run from A to B for no reason. Right. Like they're fast runners because they have to be. So, and then when you tell people that you're like, go ahead, you can do your experiments. You can do your training. I'm not going to stop you from doing it. I'm just telling you their natural history. And then, then after like a year or two of them doing it, they're like, okay, forget it. I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's just the natural history. It was the same thing with our fishing cat, you know, working through the fishing cat behavior. And we, when we built our new yard, we got a pond and she had never had a pond big enough where she could completely get her whole body submerged mm -hmm. in. So we thought it would be super cool to train her to jump in the water and retrieve like a fish or something out of the water. 
there's other another trainer who came in and who was like working through it and she's like well it's not you're not really training her she's just jumping in the water after a fish and I was like potato potato yeah you call it one thing I call it another she's still going in the water right that's yeah. the end behavior it, nothing is negative about it she's getting her reward and she's like well you should be training her to jump in the water and then get her fish and I was like but she's but her incentive is a sit and wait predator is to go after the prey item when it's moving and close enough to her. It's not to sit there. Oh, she'll sit there and wait for it. <laughs> if it's already at the bottom of the pool, she's going to sit there, wait for it for a real long time. So it was like the entire summer, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> she's like, okay, fine, I give up. <laughs> I'm done with this. And I'm like, I, just, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's a moving prey item that's close enough to her and she can catch it. Like, knowing their natural <laughs> histories and their motivators. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's. I mean, there's more to it than that, but yeah, that's. But that's, that's knowing the basis that is what of where, you. what you have to start with. Yeah, for definitely. sure. So something that I think is really cool and people probably have questions about when they first see it is that you guys get to work with these big cats. I mean, they could be very dangerous. Um, free contact, as we sometimes call it in the industry. I, I just air quoted that. But, in, you know, in, in zoos, like, you know, uh, you don't have to have a fence or a barrier between you and these cheetahs. And we also, you know, have seen... You guys with babies and raising them with puppies. And will you go into just a little bit about like raising the cheetahs and why you're able to share this space with them and how all of that works? That has to be one of your favorite parts of the job. I mean, I'm sure it's exhausting at this point. You have your own kids. But like getting to raise a baby cheetah sounds really fun. It is really fun. It is a little exhausting these days because I just don't ever get away from babies. Yeah. Babies at home, babies at work, babies everywhere. Um, these babies don't talk back though. <laughs> Uh, but the, I think, you know, raising the baby cheetahs, it, it gives, it, it allows the cheetahs to be able to bond with us too. Like it gives them a healthy respect, kind of like your dog and your house cat at home even. Like, you know, those animals know you, they, you get fed every day, single day by you. And, you know, our baby cheetahs all come from the instance of they were a single cub and a mom will not raise a single cub in captivity or in the wild um and unfortunately their milk dries up the cub would pass away and that would actually allow them to have another litter right away so biologically it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. but you know in managed care we're just not going to be like okay fend for yourself we can pull that cub hand raise it and then that's when they usually come to us um and we can hand raise them and they can be part of our program we get the dogs simply because, you know, they would have a playmate in, out in the wild. They would have a playmate that have conspecifics to be able to play with, get that energy out with. And we don't want that to be us. It's super cute when they're cute and cuddly and only, you know, 10 pounds. But when they're 80 pounds, right, you know, 130 pounds, <laughs> yeah. like Donnie, not so cute. Um, so we keep that, as you know, as a working relationship of trainer and animal um it's a very healthy working relationship but we don't want to ever encourage that play behavior in that type of form um so we get them the puppy to play with so they play all day with the puppy get their energy out and then that allows us to be able to do our training sessions so we can pull the baby cheetah out do a couple training sessions once they're tired and not trying to you know play with you constantly 
and we don't train them together a lot of times. Like everybody thinks with the dog goes everywhere with cheetah. Dog doesn't go everywhere with cheetah. Cheetah does its training by itself. Dog does its training by itself, and then they go together for playing. So when they grow up that way, the dog is never any harm from the cheetah. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thinks, oh, two years old, the cat's gonna decide to eat dog. Nope. It's we don't. You know, you don't grow up deciding to eat your brother yeah. or your sister <laughs> for that. <laughs> like it, it's that's not a natural thing that, that most people want to do. It's not natural for them either. You know, they don't. They see them as a playmate, a conspecific. They don't see them as now lunch all mm. of a sudden. Um, so it's actually pretty funny because we just we've only been able to do this twice since working here, but. A couple of days ago, we just introduced one of our older dogs to our baby. Oh cheetah. yes, I oh, saw pictures. <laughs> How did that go? Was it just yeah. because Remus is so easygoing, or what made you guys decide to do that? Yeah, we had actually talked about it since Rosie was tiny, tiny, tiny. Because we said, you know, we can always put the dogs together. Hopefully, you know, Moose is over the nonsense. He's six years old. He's like, no, I don't need any more baby things playing with me anymore. Um, but Remus is pretty laid back and easygoing, and he loves cats. He even <laughs> loves our house cats so much that we're like, I think this will work. So we took him up to our um, education building, and they ran around the theater, and they could care less. Either one of them. I mean, Remus was play bowing to the cheetah. It was the cutest so thing in the cute. entire world. The How cheetah is usually will not even accept other dogs. Usually they accept their oh, yeah, dog. Oh, think about that part. Yeah. Like, um, I they will accept their dog and that's it. She could care less. She was like, "This thing is fun. I like it." <laughs> it's actually it's not barking at me constantly. Remus is very quiet, so and Daisy barks and a lot. And Daisy barks a lot. So I think they both really enjoyed it. They were running around and it was super cute. So we'll have to see how that plays out and if they um, continue. But it would be fun, yeah, to have like all three of them out there playing together. It just gives them all another opportunity to interact with each other, the dogs to interact with each other, the cheetah to interact with other things. Yeah. So, so it's, it's just, nice yeah, yeah, it's just another opportunity for enrichment for everybody. Right. Yeah. You mentioned Rosie, though. Will you tell us a little bit about her story? Like where she came from, how old she is now. I didn't even know. I thought it's only been three months. Apparently, been five. <laughs> Time's flying yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, so Rosie came from a, a facility in Oregon. Um, we knew the mom was pregnant with only one cub, so we were all, all ready to receive her if, you know, everything went as planned and everything. Um, so it did. She came to us when she was about three weeks old, and, um, you know, we've been hand-raising her ever since. She is a great little cub. She is five months old now, so (laughs) she's getting big. I want to say she's, like, she's around 25 pounds. Okay, that sounds small still. I want to see No, it's, she, I mean, she is still small. I mean, not, I don't even mean she's, like, small for her age. I just mean, like, I don't know why I was thinking she's, She's like, not huge, no. Already. I think when you start, once you start getting, like, around seven, eight months more, okay. then, then she's, she's like, like, two-thirds of her size, okay. so. She's still pretty little. Oh, yeah, cute. she's pretty cute. Um, so she's, but she's doing really well. Have you started doing runs with her? We haven't started doing runs, so we don't okay. usually start that. Until they're at least six months old. Okay, is that just, what they would do in the wild? Is would they like hang back and then start hunting when they're like six months old? Or? Yeah, and and mom, so the mom in the wild would go also get a prey item and bring it back, still mm-hmm. kind of injured to the cubs, okay. and then the cubs would learn how to basically hunt from that injured mm-hmm. prey. Okay. Um, 
and that's kind of when they would start they might start before that but you know since we can control it we wouldn't want to push her too quickly too fast and because bones grow until they're like two years old you know you have to be very careful about yeah. making sure that you don't injure them while they're young and you know anything like that so we'll start off very very small i mean we talk we do probably runs at like 50 feet it's okay. just to get them used to the lure get them used to like chasing everything and and you know maybe at the beginning of show season next year she'll be probably okay. running in some shows but we really don't do it all the time consistently until they're over a year old okay mm. yeah but they definitely still learn before that i mean we've had one cat who who had to learn after that and he's not a great runner but he also has you know hip problems and stuff like that mm. so um but yeah learning all of that at the right critical time is like the best thing you just have to be careful do it in small doses and like she already runs after our lunge whip so we have this like big long lunge whip that you would use for horses okay. and we tie a wiffle ball to the end of it and then they, she chases the wiffle ball so that's super cute and that's part of our how we move her from one space to another oh, <laughs> is have her chase the wiffle oh, ball that's smart. That's awesome. um so that she already learned some of that and sees some of that behavior from that too but and you mentioned you've been able to lucky enough to raise a lot of cheetah cubs over the years. That's yeah, obviously a super unique experience. Of? Yeah, I I've raised twelve cheetah cubs. Wow! And were you doing overnights with all of them, or did you have like specific ones that you were closer with? Like, do you guys sometimes kind of pick people who are the overnight people, or like the main trainer, or anything like that, or is it pretty shared? Uh, usually, it's so we have um, four full time trainers in our area, and usually the it's pretty shared on like who um would stay with the cubs now it's a little bit easier because we have four or sometimes like a fifth person that we can kind of rotate in so like necessarily not does everybody hand raise the cub but everybody has the chance to stay overnight with the cub if they want to and do feedings and stuff like that um but if you want to take more of a relaxed back seat you can as okay. long as everybody else is okay with that gotcha. like the last cheetah cub when we had chris i kind of took a couple of steps back and only did like one feeding every once in a while just because you know i had tiny humans myself yeah. it's tough it's i still tough. have tiny humans yeah. but maybe i just like organized chaos a little bit more now <laughs> i don't know um so uh but yeah, and I also try want to be able to give the opportunity to other people mm -hmm. because I've done it for so long mm -hmm. and have had a chance to raise so many cubs. So it's a it's been a wild ride. What's that experience like? Like, how often are they eating? How much time do you guys spend with them? You mentioned obviously for the first what couple months you're overnight with them, twenty four hours, right? Well, not not necessarily twenty four hours, especially the first. You might for the first like few like month or so, just because they're having to eat so frequently mm. um being bottle fed i think i want to say until the first like five four weeks or so they're eating around the clock and then we kind of back off with some of the time at nighttime um and then obviously as they get a little bit older we stop feeding around like 10 o'clock at night and then go from like 10 o'clock at night to like six in the morning okay. so a lot of times it, that that transition is a little bit easier because that's around like you know 
don't know, about two months old probably. And then somebody, you know, feeds at 10 o'clock at night and then a different person comes in usually at six in the morning. So mm. that makes sense because you have other yeah. animals you have to take care of. So. Yeah. You have other animals to take care of, you know, life at home. So, uh, it's kind of, a around the clock care for a while, but then like now she still gets fed more than any of the cats, but she's only five months old. So she gets fed four times a day, okay. but then we try to fit it more into like our schedule as it is. So she gets fed at the seven thirty in the morning and then her last feed is the last one of the day, which is around four o'clock. Okay. So you squeeze it in there. Um, and she does really well. It's just, uh, we try to spread them out a little bit more. So yeah. she's not getting bigger meals throughout the day. Is she completely off bottles and all of that at this point? Yeah, so the crazy thing about a lot of carnivores is you got to have to get them off the bottle by about five or six weeks because if not, they just start ripping the nipple off the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of feel bad for mom when yeah. you think about it. You're like, oh, you yeah. just like literally, okay, no more bottles. Yeah. You'll be like feeding the cat one day and then the next day you're like, okay, this nope, there's, there's no nipple on the end of this bottle. So you're done. Yeah. <laughs> So then that's when we usually do the transition of like a little bit of milk mixed in with like oh, their protein of, or their beef or whatever it is, um, or if they're getting like turkey baby food or whatnot. Um, so we put it in the bowl and then they have to learn how to eat it out of the bowl. And then you slowly can start working them off of that formula. But um, yeah, it's usually pretty quickly when they decide that yeah. they're done. <laughs> and then she's spending the night with her puppy overnight. And Yep, so she's spending... It usually takes a while when you introduce the baby cheetah to the puppy, but um, probably about a month to six weeks for them to really accept each other. You know, everybody thinks that it's this easy thing right. to do, <laughs> and, you know, usually it is not. And the earlier you can introduce them, the easier it is. Yeah. Um, and we've had wide ranges of animal of dogs that have been introduced at, like, six weeks old to three months old. So... It's the easiest thing if you can do it younger, but obviously, you know, we want to be as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. um, this, Rosie and Daisy probably took about six weeks to really like each other and to be able to stay overnight with each other. Um, it's partially just because the cheetahs are afraid of the world. You know, that's how they're built. <laughs> they're afraid to be... They're afraid to be around anything. Which so. is interesting because I like bringing up what you guys kind of talk about in your shows and one of the reasons dogs are involved it's obviously to give them a companion but in Africa cheetahs are afraid of a lot and sometimes they're being persecuted for things they're not doing like hunting on farmers land it could be a lion or a hyena or anything but if the farmer sees the cheetah the next day when after one of their goats or cows are killed you know they'll go after the cheetah so there is a program that this like the zoo started this right I mean Catherine Hilker started this program um where dogs are actually used to help save the cheetahs by scaring them away. So will you talk a little bit about that and maybe the Anatolian Shepherds? And yeah, so, and we used to have Anatolians in our program, Anatolian Shepherds. Um, they're a Turkish breed of dog that's um, been around forever, and they were used to scare away bears and wolves from and livestock. Big dogs. They're big big bark, dogs. Right? Yeah. Loud barks. Big yeah. attitudes. And we've had three in the program, and that's kind of why we got out of the Anatolian Shepherds just because we realized to tell the story we don't really need to have physically have that dog 
and to have a livestock guardian dog is a whole nother story than having just, you know, a dog that wants to work and right. work for fun. Uh, Anatoly loves working, but it that involves sleeping all day <laughs> and then being up at night and barking and, and scaring them and protecting yeah. their, their flock of all the zoo animals. So <laughs> they do their job. They're just not going to do anything else. <laughs> um, the, and... So they use those dogs in Africa to help protect farmers' livestock and to help protect farmers' livestock from any kind of predator. And it's not just cheetah. There's all kinds of predators in the area that some of these cheetahs are in. But it is to help scare them away and to protect the livestock. So farmers will leave everything alone and let them live on their property. And that's, you know, easy for us to say because we don't live in Africa Mm -hmm. with a lion walking Mm -hmm. through your backyard or a cheetah or a leopard and having to worry about like your cost of living, your mm-hmm. means of living is this herd of livestock right here. And if you lose two of your livestock, you know, like that's a lot of money out yeah. of your pocket. So um, these dogs were implemented to help protect the livestock. And the great thing is about them, they will bond with whatever you raise them with. So we'd raise them with cheetahs, and they'd bond with the cheetah. You know, you raise them. People raise them with livestock, and they bond with the livestock, um, and they'll protect whatever they're bonded with. And I just love that because it's not traps or anything. It's just a bark. It just yeah. scares yeah. away. No harm done, and the predators typically stay away. So yeah. I think that's a cool mm-hmm. thing. Like One of the reasons you guys take these cubs in is usually because their mom cannot raise them if they're a single cub, but then also they have this ambassador job. Like They have a job here at the zoo to share their story and explain all of these things that are happening and share the story of the dogs and how they're helping keep, you know, predators and livestock safe in Africa. And it's just a really cool way to tell a story and get to see this amazing animal run where unless you're, I mean, you have to be so, so lucky. Even if you're lucky enough to go to Africa, then you have to be lucky enough to see a cheetah. And then to see them run, it's like you have like a .0001% chance of seeing it. So the fact that you can come to the Cincinnati Zoo and see a cheetah run 50 miles per hour is incredible. But Yeah. I mean, my one of my bosses has been to Africa. I mean, I don't know. I think Linda's been like seven times or something. I think she's seen a cheetah once. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> once. Yeah. It was like one year saw a cheetah. And the Anatolian Shepherd program is awesome because like, kind of like you mentioned, it is an area that is going to need creative solutions to solve the human-wildlife conflict because it's a huge problem over there. I know... I'm from Kentucky, and Kentucky, we have a big shout if there's a black bear in a neighborhood. Yeah, you know, right. one single bear in a neighborhood <laughs> is a huge deal. And then, now it's like you live in an area with lions, leopards, cheetahs, painted dogs, hyenas. There's everything over there. So in order to get keep the people safe and keep the economy moving and keep their livestock safe, but also keep these animals that we don't want to lose. Obviously, no one wants to lose cheetahs and lions, but it's going to take some solutions like that. Not always easy to come by, but... Um, how many cheetahs are left in the wild? Do you know? I mean, they are considered endangered, correct? Yeah, I mean, they are considered endangered. There's a very, I mean, small population. It's under 12,000. Uh, I think the la- I think that was the, like, high-end estimate, and, that- and then they found out that that was wrong, and then it was like, oh, hey, guess what? We only have, like, 7,000 yeah, cheetahs left in the wild. It was, like, it's like 70, I think it was 7,500. Uh-huh. We're like, oh, well, that's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just cut your population in half yeah. 
And I mean, and the neither of those is a large population. No. Like, and you also, all the populations are so segmented that mm -hmm. they can't really get to one another, and they're just so bottlenecked. And it's kind of crazy We've, when you think about it, like, the genetics of the population in the wild are worse than the genetics of the population in managed care. No way. Because we can control it to a certain degree, <sighs> right. right? We can yeah. say, oh, this, this male and this female need to be represented. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they like each other. Yeah. They like each other if they have babies, whereas mm -hmm. we can move them across the country, yeah. you know, to do that, um, to make sure that the best genes are represented and we're doing our part to keep the population healthy. Um, whereas in the wild, you can't do that, and the cats can't physically get to one another. So There's no gene flow. There's no gene flow. It's just yeah. these populations that are stagnant um, that can't really do anything about. That's so tough. That's, yeah. Yeah. So we need all of them to stay as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the dogs help with that. So dogs I think that's help. a cool yeah. story. Yeah. And it doesn't work in every part in Africa, but it works in the parts that it's been implemented in. Yeah. And in some areas they've even taken um, where they've bred the Anatolian Shepherd with the local dog population um, and started using the local dog population to show farmers that these dogs can have a purpose. Okay. They're not just mm -hmm. mongrels that run on the street. Yeah. Like, they're not just here and stealing things and bringing diseases and stuff like that. We can treat them, we can give them medication, and you can use them to help protect your farm. So it's giving the community another investment too into this animal that's already there and present and then taking that and being able to use it for, you know, to keep their farm healthy and realize like, oh, these guys can have a purpose. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. And, and that's partially why we stopped using Anatolians too, is because we're like, yeah, we don't need an Anatolian to right. tell that story. We can do that with the and, mutt. And now you guys got. are adopting from <laughs> shelters or like uh, yeah. non-profit organizations that are fostering puppies and stuff, which yeah. Yeah, so of course something else the zoo yeah. should support and is full you guys circle. Talk about in your uh, show spay and neuter and all of that, but that was definitely something I wanted to ask about. So you guys do get your dogs now from rescue programs. What's it like when you guys go select a dog to bring back and rescue? I just picture you guys in a room full of puppies. Just <laughs> puppies. I'm always jealous. I'm like, like day, you know what? It is actually kind of is like <laughs> <laughs> the when we had when we got Remus. It actually was funny because um, it was only like Remus and like two there was like three puppies and it was like remus and two other puppies and there was more but obviously we want dogs that are going to be a little bit more medium to the larger size mm -hmm. just so they can be you know semi-close in the size of the cheetah yeah you don't need a toy poodle out there right yeah i don't need i mean i love my my low rider dogs but i didn't need one to hang out with a cheetah um and we it was like remus and two other females but you know, it's kind of super easy, even at a young age, to really tell personalities of dogs. And you kind of really want one that's just going to be like a little bit more laid back. You mm -hmm. don't want one that's going to be super shy, because obviously we're around a lot of people. We're around a lot of everything. Yeah. So you want the dog to be comfortable in the environment. and you But you don't want the dog to be overly bold, too, because then you can run into some kind of aggression issues. Um, and then just pushing the cheetah around constantly, always be annoyed, you know. Um, so we kind of choose like the middle of the road usually and this I remember when we got Remus it was him and these two sisters um, that were from another litter and I don't know what they were they were uh, some other 
big big mutts of something who knows but the one sister was so mean (laughs) (laughs) i was like we're watching her for the longest time and remus like figured it out already and he was like i'm not going anywhere near that one because that one is not very nice but the great thing was is we told the shelter and the people at the shelter were so friendly and they actually we took her out from her sister too because we, we were like hey just so you know like because sometimes you know work you know realize working with animals you don't get to spend that much quality time just staring yeah. at this beha- one behavior and i'm like she will be fine as a dog but somebody needs to know that she's more on the dominant yeah. side and that she needs to be with somebody who can handle that and also she's taking it out on her sister and her sister's starting to show some of that tendencies too so they were great they separated them they put them and they actually told me when we went to go back to get Rima or when we went to go look for Daisy they're like hey I remember that dog and we found like the perfect family for him and they knew about it and oh, she's good. doing really well and it was just so fun to be able to like you know as an animal person to be able to like share that and have that information and be able to share it with other people so. and now she's the right fit and now and she's the right fit other yeah. than like somebody being able to adopt her and realizing that they couldn't go into their house so right. it was super cool and I'm sure they were so excited to know that one of the dogs from their shelter was going to be a cheetah cub companion oh, yeah. So. yeah when we came back when I called them the next time you know this year earlier this year they're like of course yeah come see it <laughs> I'm like just let me know when you give some puppies so they called me up they're like, well, this is what we have. And I'm like, all right. So they had a whole litter of puppies out there. Um, and we got to meet the whole litter. And then... Rough day. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Play with puppies. Yeah. What did you do today? Play with puppies. <laughs> That's a win. That's yeah. a win. <laughs> For sure. That was a little bit harder to choose because you're like, well, this, these guys are great. Other than the one female, we're like, no, you, you're not great. <laughs> you go over your little too much. I love you, but go away. Uh, so, so before we uh, sort of wrap things up, will you tell us all of the cheetahs you currently take care of and maybe like a little bit about them? Yeah, sure. And didn't one of them have a really special appearance on a movie recently? Oh, yeah. Well, so Bravo and Chance were the first two cheetahs I got to raise. Um they came, I want to say about six months after I started working here. So unfortunately, both boys passed away last year, but they were 17 years old. Yeah. I mean, they lived such a great life. Um, and I had always said, because they were so bonded to another, I was like, once we lose one, it's not going to be long before we lose the mm-hmm. other one. He lived about another six to eight months and then passed away. Um, but we did a shoot for National Geographic um, with five of our cats years ago and Chance was already always terrified of our setup we had because they we said it had this whole big production and you can see if you ever want to see the production you can go on YouTube and just search National Geographic Cheetah Run it's really cool yeah. we got slow motion video footage of the cheetahs running af- after the lure um, but it was huge setup with all those cameras and photographers and stage production and everything we did this over five days of running and chance was terrified of the system but out of all of our cats he was the only one that would pay that would not run and he was just like he would just freeze he was like nope i'm done (laughs) um and then bravo did really good job at running it was him and tommy t and nia was out there also and then sarah who's 
the past the years ever, ever. Yeah, right? she's the fastest cheetah ever. And uh, we, um, so they caught this video footage, and it was super cool. The ending pictures they got were amazing. I always wanted to work for National Geographic, too, when I was little. Yeah, it was, so it was like a so pipe cool dream. That that I, and then the, the first day of production, they come in and they gave us all a National Geographic hat. And I was like, oh, <gasps> a National Geographic hat. You know, it's like a little kid. It was the greatest thing ever. And, uh, but... Yeah, watching the new Jurassic World, or World Dominion, I think it was, is called, and watching the movie, and then the first, like, five minutes of the movie, they're doing these, like, news reels of what's happened in the world, and it was a picture, it was a shot of one of our cheetahs running in the slow motion video footage, so they had cropped out the lure. That the, the ball that the cheetahs chase, and they put in this tiny dinosaur. <laughs> and he's like opening his mouth to grab the ball, and instead he's opening his mouth to grab this dinosaur. And I, like, Andy and I were in the movie theater at the time, and I we, I think we both just like lost our mind. We were, because like, you had no idea. We had no right? idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like going to the movies with Fiona and just showing yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Because National Geographic had the rights to that footage, so you see it pop up in, like, everything. Yeah. And I was like, I lost my mind. I think I told everybody. (laughs) My cheetah's famous. I'm still trying to hunt down to see if we can get a still of that picture. I was like, I bet you somebody in the movie industry or whatever can get that for me. Because that would be so cool. That's but, super cool. Yeah, so they were the first two boys I raised. And then Tommy T now is 14. He'll be 14 this year. Um, and then Nia just turned 13. That's wild. And then there's Savannah, who is 11. And then next are our four siblings. So we have Donnie, Red, Catherine... And Willow, who are all six years old. Um, and then there is Chris, who just turned three. And then the baby, Which, who I is five. I feel like Chris is one. Right? Yeah, and, then, and then I keep saying she's like one or two. And I'm like, no, she's three. Three years old. It was yeah. like COVID was hitting. I remember when, you know, Chris was doing like cameos and stuff. I know because we were doing it with Fiona. Yep. Yeah. But. Yes. When I still say, too, like, because Chris is very shy around a lot of things, oh. and I was like, oh, because I say all the time, I have a COVID baby at home, but I have a COVID baby at home, and I have a COVID baby here, because they're just not Chris used to being same... around yeah. everything, and they're not used to have the same exposure as all of our other cats did. There were no crowds at There's the zoo. There's no crowds, so even, like, they, she didn't get to see people in bleachers for a long time, which we were like, oh, goodness, how is this going to work? And it... And even affected some of our older cheetahs because they didn't see people for yeah. a whole year in the zoo, pretty Something much. you may not think about, but... Yeah, and then all of a sudden they see all these people again and, pe- like, 600 people sitting in the bleachers. Yeah. You know, it was a big, a big change and um, affected a lot of the cats, especially the first year coming back and doing shows after COVID. So everybody's good now, but it takes a lot, right? Yeah. And they all have different personalities be- to begin with, and then a different, like, upbringing or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, those are all the cats. Worked with some more cats, but those are all the ones I raised at the zoo, so. That's super cool. It's cool. Yeah. And they all have their different quirks and personalities, and Tommy T, he's the sweetest cat in the entire world, and he's also, like, the coolest cat to ever 
get a video picture of because he has these eyeballs that look like he would murder you <laughs> in 30 <laughs> seconds. These like intense eyeballs. So his pictures are super cool and everybody sees the pictures and they're like, oh, that cat is so mean. I was like, oh my God, he's like the biggest teddy Aww. bear. <laughs> the biggest teddy bear. And you said Donnie's the big one? Like Donnie's the, the biggest one, okay. yeah. He, he's 130 pounds, which wow. is huge. Cool. Most males were like 115 to 120, and he's a big boy. What's a smaller female, like, or an average female usually? So, our females usually end up being around 80 pounds. Okay. I mean, they can get down to like 65, 70 pounds, wow. but uh, all of ours have been right around that 80 pound mark. And the females yeah. are faster than the males, right? Yeah, yeah, females are faster. I mean, it makes sense. They're a little smaller. You mm -hmm. know, most of our males have been um, right around, if they're well, like 100 to 110 pounds, so they're carrying less weight. You know, and they the females have to, need to provide for their yeah. cubs, and yeah. then they're solitary completely. Say, except you mentioned for their cubs, that Bravo so. and Chance, you know, live together, and the males typically cheetahs are solitary, but the males males will live in a coalition or like a small right. group, right? If they're siblings, so yeah, and they might pick up some other their, uh, males too. Oh, really? A, okay. Yeah, a group in Africa that was like five males wow. that traveled together, and they. uh you know, we'll pick up larger animals, too. So, like, Impala, they've been known to go after, like, zebras, ostrich. Wow. Watch a cool video of them going after ostrich. Watch another video of them going after a water buffalo. I'm like, oh what? There's are no you, like, are you that, really? Like, I've seen, a, like, a pride of lions going after right. a water buffalo. Really, cheetahs? And not be successful. Love you, yeah. but, like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess if they can hunt together, they could hunt larger prey. It may not have to be quite as fast because they can depend on one another. Right. females on own. So. Where females are on their own, they got to feed not only themselves, but they have to feed their cubs. Right. So, like, during, you know, when they have babies, they got to hunt every single day. Yeah. Um, versus the males who, eh, they can just do whatever they want. You know, just hang out. Well, we've learned a lot about cheetahs today. I do have some trivia for you guys, though. Trivia. If you're up for some cheetah trivia, let's do it. I hope. I hope you guys I don't, feeling it? I hope cheetah I don't trivia. Stink oh, at this cheetah trivia. We've got we've got four questions for okay. cheetah trivia today. Starting off, what is the name of the long hair that runs from a cub, a cheetah cub's neck to the base of its tail? I do They've know got this it. Gray you do know it. You know it. Okay, do, do it. it. Do it, Jenna. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I, I, oh, my brain always wants to say mane, but it's a mantle. Yeah, right? ding, 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 ding. I feel like I need a dinger mantle. here. Yeah. <laughs> you need a dinger. That's Come the on. Yeah. Where's the buzzer? Yeah. Take yeah. the trivia to next yeah. level. No whammies. No whammies. No whammies. Yeah, it is a mantle. mantle. Yeah. Does Rosie still have her mantle? She does not. So they no. usually only have it from their little... There's a theory, too, when the, their cheetahs are in managed care that they get rid of their mantle earlier. Uh -huh. It's not really been proven yet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the idea of the mantle is, is that it protects the young. It's like camouflage, camouflage right? for the baby cheetah, right? Protective camouflage. Because it makes them look like a honey badger. Uh, honey badgers are mean, nasty. cool animals. Cool animals. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're super cool. <laughs> Um, but it makes the disguises them a little bit to look like if you looked at a cub quickly, you might think it's a honey badger. Wow. So you might just forget it and leave it alone. Right. Well, the older they get, the more of that hair they lose on their back and then it turns into their normal coloration. So, and sometimes they'll keep like, especially males will sometimes keep a little bit of that mantle on the back of their neck and there's a little bit extra long hair that stick up. 
um, but but yeah, they usually le lose it here by like three months old or mm. three and a half months old. Because they don't have predators. They, right. Like, I don't know. So that's it. one of the theories is like, do they lose it quicker because there's no predator around that the mantle goes away faster than they would in the wild? Great question. I've heard people call cheetah cubs ugly before because they've got that gray <gasps> hair. And I'm like, I think it's adorable. I think it's I think adorable, it's so too. Cute. That I long, know. extra ugly. long hair. That's adorable. They've got like a silver streak down their back. Yeah. It's so yeah, cute. I like it. All right, we're one for one. It's a good start. On to question number two. How many spots does an average cheetah have on its body? Ooh, I know this. I'm guessing 2,000. You're guessing. Hey! I got a question for you. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> which side of the cheetah has more spots? Ooh, trivia for me. I don't know this one. Um, Why would one side have more? Like, always? That's just the question. Or is this a joke? Is this like a trick? I'm going to go right side. That's the outside. I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> always thinks about it, though. You're like, I don't know. Why? I've been Jenna's there, logical I've been over here being like, what? why would it make any difference? <laughs> I'm oh, glad Mark got to the right side. That's amazing. Alright, two for two. We're off to a good start here. I think you can learn that in your show. Maybe that's... What? How you probably How many spots? Yeah. We say yeah. We say about 2,000. It's 2, actually during our, like, events, like, to let people guess. And uh, it takes, uh, yeah, people, you don't always be surprised, like, down by, like, 100, 200. I was like, ooh, no. Not close, not close, yeah. <laughs> higher. Much yeah, higher. Yeah, about 2,000. All right, question number three here. What is a cheetah's closest living relative? Ooh. There's two acceptable answers here because there's a little bit of debate. In the scientific community. I don't think I know the second answer, but. so this is interesting. I do know the first answer. Tammy, you got any guesses? Closest living relative. Serval. North American species. Did you say that in your question? I didn't listen. I did not. No. No. Oh, she I just like, knows oh, okay. it. She knows it. Is it a cougar? Yeah. Cougar. Yeah. Serval's not a bad guess because they, they, they have, have the spots. That's, That's kind of like, like the longer same legs. Same coloration. Yeah. Like, same build. Really? Yeah. So I would think cougars would be more like or mountain lion closer to <clears throat> lions. Yeah, fascinating I don't think story. Cheetahs and lions seem the same to me. Yeah. They so cheetahs used because to live in so North America. Yeah, there was a North American subspecies of the cheetah. They were a little bit bigger, actually. Um, and also, I raising cheetah cubs. When we used to raise cheetah cubs out at Catherine's house a million years ago, <laughs> um, there was, I was going through her library one day, and there was a super cool book that she had on cheetah and cougar physiology. And the, the entire book, this probably like 300-page book, book about how the comparative analogy uh, anatomy of the mountain lion to the cheetah and I was amazed at all the similarities yeah. from the mountain lion yeah. Yeah. other the biggest difference is obviously how they're built to like jump yeah is like cougars mountain lions can jump you know these huge spans of different uh, differences whereas cheetahs really can't they can only go straight out but mountain lions can you know Obviously, jump around to a yeah. lot of different places, but it was 
was really cool to learn. But the yeah, they both got the same. in North America is wild because you think of them in really as like really open. hot, open, yeah. deserty yeah. savanna areas. Yep. Yeah, but the cougars and cheetahs, they both have the same anatomy, like Alicia mentioned. Yep. Neither one of them can roar. Yeah. And they're both large cats that can't roar, but... But does um, that technically make them small cats? Isn't that... It depends on who you're talking okay. to, yeah. because a lot of people will put cougar, even cougars in that category of like, oh, they're a small cat because they can't roar, but they are big cat because of their size and their, like, if you're talking to the USDA, they're going to say they're a big cat. Yeah. Like, yeah. even a cheetah, even a, you know, snow leopard, but like, if you are talking to a lot of scientists, a lot of scientists put them in different categories, so kind of just... Depends. What's Never. the second cat, though? So the second one is more based on genetics, DNA evidence. Recent studies have shown it could be the Jagarundi. The oh Jagarundi. Yeah. Really? Are they, are they yeah. extant? No. Do they exist? They still they exist. Do. Yeah. They do. South America. Yeah. 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 Small South American cat species. But they're, yeah, they're not in North America anymore. Mm-hmm. But they used to be mm-hmm. in like Texas, Louisiana. Yeah, I think they're still in parts of Central America, too. They're in Central America, yeah. yeah. I've never seen one and don't know much about them at all. They're cool cats. They look more like a weasel. Yeah. Like, kind of, like, remind me of a fishing cat, almost. Because they're, like, nocturnal. They have more that, like, slender face. Yeah. 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 They had them in Night Hunters years ago. Or, like, like a fusa. Like, they look a lot like a fusa, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright, we're off to a good start here. Last question. This one could be the one that trips you up a little bit. Uh-oh. So our new cheetah cub is obviously Rosie. In what year did local legend Rosie Red become an official team mascot for the Cincinnati Reds? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> I like how you're already laughing at yourself. <laughs> 1983. 83 is Jenna's guess, all right? 83. I'm going to say 93. No. Not, it's going to be, yeah, 93. Okay. I'm going with 93. 93 is Alicia's guess. Alicia's closer, but it's actually more recent than I thought it was going to be. It's 2008. 2008? 2008, yeah. 2000. Good lord. <laughs> wow. That was so yeah. close. <laughs> yeah. Rosie Red. She's new, new to the scene. Yeah, yeah the newest <laughs> member of the Reds team, apparently. Jenna, do we have anything else for Alicia? Yes, we have one final question. Oh, is it another trivia question? No, <laughs> this is about the cheetah spots. Our Jagarundi sixteen still exists. What can I do? What is something that you do at home? Something others can do to just be a better wildlife warrior. Better for the earth. Oh, perfect. You know, I think one of my coolest things that I really like, because we've done it at our house too, is just we talk about, or we have a catio for our cat, right? Like Those it are fun. Seems They're the like, thing. Yeah, it seems like a simple, like, silly thing, but, like, our cat loves being outside, and we have a lot of coyotes in the area and our dogs so we have you know we have a german short-haired pointer he would love to eat our cats (laughs) (laughs) but you know having catio just provides her the opportunity to get outside be safe i know where she is i know she's not roaming around i know she's not getting in fights with other animals i know she's not eating local birds yeah that's a big thing snakes or any of our local wildlife which you know is a big help like it provides her mental 
uh, health awareness and then it also provides the stability of knowing that all the local wildlife are safe now don't get me wrong if a snake comes wandering in her catio like fend for yourself <laughs> you should stay out of this area it smells like cat go away um but sorry however like that just provides some more opportunity for her to get outside and keep you know, the local wildlife safe. We always talk about it. We talk about it in our programming. You know, we hope to bring a catio here to the zoo for our oh, cats to idea. show everybody that, like, hey, this is something you can easily do at home. And then that would give our house cats here another opportunity to have another space they could go into. Um, and then, you know, it was super easy. I just bought a chicken coop. Okay. <laughs> bought a chicken coop, and we made a little door to go into our house through our window, and that was it. Nice. It was done. We built chicken coop, and then say la vie. I mean, it was over. She was, she's happy. We got a little door that she can come. Once she comes in at nighttime, we feed her at night, um, her last meal. And then the door closes, so she can't go back outside okay. until the morning. So you can close it if you like. Yeah. don't want to waste the heat or the air yep. conditioning or yeah. something. That's a good one because, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that Cats can do a lot of harm to native wildlife, and yeah. you also want to be a responsible pet owner where your cat isn't getting lost or possibly getting hit by cars mm -hmm. or, you know, different things like coyotes and such, if that's an issue in your area. Um, but yeah, so it gives them this great welfare while keeping other animals safe because I'm assuming your cat is spayed or neutered, but that's another thing. If you're letting your cat outside because you want them to have the freedom and then they go make more babies and there's more cats right. in shelters and that's not good for anything anyone any cats any of us so um and it's kind of solved the problem too of like she used to like try to run out the door because you know she wanted to check out why yeah, are we going out outside yeah. she's yeah. like you're going out there why aren't we but now she doesn't try to do that so we don't have to worry about oh, it as much because she has a place to go outside yeah so we don't have to worry about her beating us to the door or leaving the door open or mm -hmm. anything like that because she has the freedom to come and go so it's provided another outlet for her to make her choices and better choices that way. Yeah, and you guys are really handy. You made it sound like, oh, it's so easy to build a chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I think if you wanted to go a different route, there are some that are, like, pre-made, and they're probably smaller, but you can also get some, yeah. like, you can buy off Amazon. You can buy, you can buy, like, these little nets off of Amazon that literally, just, they, like, pop up. And oh, you nice. can, like... I've seen them, they're kind of cool, because I thought about, like, oh, if the girls are playing in the front yard, I could just put her out there. Yeah. Because it's just, like, a little pop-up tent <laughs> that yeah. you can put the cat in. Nice. And it has, like, tunnels you can connect it to another and stuff like that. Where That's what we have. It's very just a little tent. It's just, oh, yeah. yeah. We live in an apartment, so can't, catio is not right. really an option for us. But, yeah, just it's literally just a, a tent that pops right up. It's a mesh thing. Do you just, like, go outside, or does it connect to a window or something? No, take okay. them outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you just have yeah. to carry them out there, and then you, yeah. like, zipper it up. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good one. A Love fun it. one we haven't done. So, well, Cat thank yes. you so much for being here, Alicia, telling us all of your stories, learning all about the cheetahs. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me, guys. Yeah. It's thanks been great. for coming. I know you're busy. You're raising cheetahs. You're raising humans at home. We know your time's precious. So, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Until next time, thank you all for listening to another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Bye.